What is up, YouTube? We are back for episode two of Entertainment Purposes Only. As we're recording this, it is 6.20 p.m. on Thursday night. Getting ready to watch the big NFL opener here in a couple hours between the Lions and the Chiefs. But, of course, as you already know, this is a college football show, so that is what we'll be talking about tonight. Don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube, smash that like and subscribe button. It would really help out. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, scroll down. Give us the five-star review, and uh, if you're willing to write a review, that'd be great as well. Just be nice about it. So, getting into episode two here, obviously, for the first episode, we sort of went through the plays that I had for week one and how those went. Gotta be honest with you guys, when I did that episode, I opened up my computer, pressed record, did not have a plan or anything. I just started talking, and that's what we got. So, the rest of the shows will be better, I think. But uh, here we are. I even mentioned on that show I wanted to get more into the uh, stories going on in the sport as well as just the picks, and that's what we're going to do here tonight. Before we get into it, I would just like to say that uh, this is brought to you by our first sponsor, Arbitrage Racing. They are the world's premier stable in the digital horse racing game. You can follow them on Twitter at Arbitrage Racing. There's no G at the end of that handle because somebody had already taken it. So at Arbitrage Racing on Twitter, good guys over there at the world's premier stable in digital horse racing. All right, so let's get on into it. First thing I want to talk about is Clemson. So, as I was recording last episode, it was right as the Clemson-Duke game was about to kick off. I told you I thought Clemson was going to win by 12 or more. It obviously didn't go that way. So, since then, obviously, Duke won the game 28-7, to and everybody's had all their takes on Clemson. Is Dynasty over? Is Dabo done? What's going to happen? Some of the things that are being said out there I agree with, some of them I don't. So let's go ahead and get into it. First of all, let's just start with that game. You go to Duke in a standalone, nationally televised game, you lose by 21, it's embarrassing, right? And like I said, everybody's got their takes on a Clemson's done, it's over, blah, blah, blah. And it's got me wondering, were we watching the same game? Because honestly, Clemson could have easily won that game, should have easily won that game. They passed for 200 yards. They ran for 200 yards. I believe Dabo said it's the first time in the history of the Clemson program that they lost a game when doing both of those things. And you got the talking heads out there in the sport uh, tweeting out things and saying on their shows like, this was not an accident. This was not a fluke that this happened. Duke was the better team. And I'm like, guys, Clemson had three consecutive possessions that ended goal to go, two of which got inside the Duke five, and they scored zero points on all three of those drives. Like, that is the definition of a fluke. Like, what do you mean that's not a fluke? I almost guarantee you that will not happen in another college football game this season, that a team goes three consecutive possessions to the other team's five-yard line and doesn't score a single point on one of them. So it was a fluke, not taking anything away from Duke, okay? I mean, when they got the opportunities, they took them. When Cade Klubnick slid a yard early on a fourth down scramble, they don't have to apologize for that. But again, those are the kind of things that aren't going to happen again. Those were flukish. So that I think there is some overreacting going on on the demise of Clemson. Now, with that being said, they're not the same team that they were four, five, six years ago. I think that's apparent. Those teams this game wouldn't have even been a question. It would have been 28 to nothing halfway through the second quarter. But 
the reasons why are very interesting, right? So obviously the way that the sport is going with NIL and the transfer portal, Dabo's against all that, right? He's come out and said it as much. And it's getting to a point where he's going to have to adapt or he's fine just getting left behind by the other big boys. Because, I mean, he's tying one of his hands behind his back at this point by just not using the transfer portal. He's going to find out in a few weeks when Florida State goes into Death Valley there, that team is almost entirely built on the transfer portal. And at least so far, they're looking a lot better than Clemson is this year. So it'll be interesting to see this offseason if uh, Dabo sort of changes his tune a little bit and adapts more to the modern way of doing things. But if he keeps doing what he's doing, then I don't see it getting better before it gets worse. But at the end of last season, that's what everyone was saying about him was, is he going to be too loyal to his staff? And then a week later, he fired Brandon Streeter and hired Garrett Riley, which was a home run hire. So I do think he is going to be able to make those changes. It's just a matter of if he wants to. And uh, we'll see. He is somewhat a stubborn guy, I think. And we're just going to have to see where that one ends up. But the thing that jumped off the screen to me about Clemson the other night was the premium position groups that they used to dominate at, right? So there's really three premium position groups on a college team that the real title contenders have to be good at. And one of them is obviously quarterback. I don't have to tell you that. My seven-month-old nephew could tell you that quarterback is the most important position on the field, and you have to have a good one to be successful. And I do think Cade played better the other night than his stat line showed, but you know they're going to be fine with Cade on that. The next one is defensive line, which, again, Clemson's going to be fine at. Peter Woods is an absolute monster as a freshman there. They're going to be fine at defensive line, and they have been throughout this whole run, obviously, with uh, guys like Dexter Lawrence, uh, Cleveland Farrell, Christian Wilkins, Brian Brzee, going back even, I think, before Dabo was there with Gaines Adams and uh, Daquan Bowers. Like They've just always had those guys, right, and that's still happening. But the one that they're really lacking at, the last premium position group is wide receiver. And that's another one of those positions just you can't have too many studs, right? And you think back in these classic Clemson teams from the last few years, and this team doesn't seem to have a Sammy Watkins, DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Williams, Justin Ross, T. Higgins, Hunter Renfro, uh, tight end like Dwayne Allen, Jordan Leggett, any of those guys. And maybe they'll grow into it. I'm sure they will. But just looked like the other night they weren't hardly getting any separation on Duke, which appeared to just be manning them up. And so I think that's really the spot where they're lacking, where they haven't been in years past. And uh, it, it's coming back to bite them. And they're obviously going to kill Charleston Southern this week. And then, yeah, we'll see what happens when Florida State comes in there. But the whole selling Dabo down the river thing, I think that's a bit premature. We'll know more when we see how he handles this offseason. But uh Yeah, I'm not selling my long-term Clemson stock at this point. Next thing up, big story from week one was obviously Colorado. And reaction after that game is about what you would expect from most people. You got half the people praising Dion and Colorado for the great win. And then some of them just have to be party poopers talking about how, oh, the hype machine's going to be out of control now. Uh, They're not going to be able to sustain this. Guys, shut up. Shut up with that. He took over a team that went 1-11 and last year. They were the worst team in the Power 5 last year. 
And then he gets hired and people are going to say, oh, it's so bad how he treated those kids. He cut almost the whole roster and brought in all transfers. Blah, blah, blah. The anti-Dabo, by the way. Guys, what do you think they hired him to do? You don't hire Deion Sanders, who a couple years ago gets the number one recruit in the country to come play for him at an HBCU to come be your coach and just coach the bad players you have on your roster. In this day and age, that comes with the territory. You're expected to rebuild a program quicker than you were a few years ago because you can do it in the portal. And of course, it's all the same people in the media who were all for the player empowerment, screaming at the top of their lungs for the last 20 years that the players should be getting paid, who are now the ones saying that they can't be cut. Guys, if you want to turn them into professional athletes, and they're professional athletes, okay? If they can get paid, they can get cut. You can't have it both ways. So Dion went in there, did exactly what he should have, cut the fat on that roster, brought in his own dudes, and look at the results. People criticized him at his introductory press conference when he told his son Shador to stand up and said there's a starting quarterback. Well, how, how could you give him the starting quarterback job? Either he hasn't even had a spring practice yet. There's no competition with him. Yeah, it's his job. And now you see why. Dude threw for 510 yards in his first ever game against Power 5 competition. Yeah, he earned it. Dude was a four-star recruit coming out, going to take over a 1-11 team, and y'all didn't know why it should have been his job. Grow up. And then, of course, after the game, Dion's feeling himself a little bit, right? As he should be. Again, you take over the worst team in Power 5, go on the road week one as a three-touchdown underdog, and beat a team that made the national title game last year. What else, up to this point, do you want from him? What else could he have done better for this program rather than what he's done already? Nobody's saying Colorado's going to make the playoff this year. Nobody's saying Colorado is going to win the Pac-12 this year. But I'll tell you, if they get to a bowl game, Deion Sanders is the coach of the year. I don't care what else anybody does. If that team, the worst team in the Power Five, I'll say it again last season, makes a bowl game in year one under Deion Sanders, he's the coach of the year, and he's getting offers for bigger jobs. I don't think he's going to take a bigger job between this year and next. I think he'll let Shadur and Travis ride out these next two years at Colorado. But after that, it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up, if anywhere. I mean, the press conference, do you believe now, he was asking the media members. And people are having a problem with it. You didn't hire Dion to come in and be this understated guy. You hired Dion to come in and be primetime. Dude played two professional sports with that swagger. Like, every step of his career was enhanced by that swagger. Why would you want him to come in and just give coach speak answers? I don't get it. It's just, You can't please some people. Dion Sanders, to this point in his tenure... Gets an A-plus, perfect score, 100. He's knocking it out of the park. Excited to see what they do against Nebraska in his home opener this week. Next up, seen a lot of people questioning the merits of the SEC after week one, saying they took it on the chin a little bit. Is the SEC in trouble? Are they not what they once were? And it's easy to say, you did this in bowl season a lot too, depending on the matchups, but... When you dig a little deeper, it's not time to panic if you're an SEC fan as far as conference supremacy 
So, obviously, LSU versus FSU, that was probably the most even matchup as far as where teams are in their conference. And LSU took it on the chin. There's no doubt about it. Florida State came out and whooped them. Going into the game, most people would have said that was the ACC's two seed versus the SEC's three seed. So definitely a fair fight there. After uh, what's happened since, I think everyone would say that is the ACC's one seed in Florida State. Probably a good litmus test for as good as one game sample size can be. But these other ones y'all are talking about, North Carolina versus South Carolina, guys. That's what, the ACC's three seed going into the season versus what I had as the SEC's 13 seed. I've only got South Carolina being better than Vanderbilt in the SEC this season, and people are acting like a 14-point win for North Carolina is this thing to beat your chest about for the ACC. I don't get it. They do the same thing whenever Clemson beats South Carolina. It's like, well, yeah, Clemson's usually the best team in the ACC. South Carolina is at least bottom half of the SEC. Again, that one, not a fair fight. Utah versus Florida, same deal. Utah in that clump of, you know, four or five really good teams in the Pac-12. They're probably the most congested. It's tough to seed them, but between USC, Utah, Oregon, and Washington, and I'm sure I'm forgetting someone, you know, that's just four really good teams right there. While uh, Florida, you know, 11th or 12th best in the SEC this year, I mean, they were projected to win five and a half games by Vegas. That was their over under win total. Like nobody was under any impressions they were a good team. So to go on the road to Salt Lake City on Thursday night and expect a win would have been uh, unfair expectations for them for this year's iteration of Florida, at least. Now, with that being said, if the SEC has a bad week this week, it's time to start asking some questions. There are some marquee games, non-conference games that the SEC is a part of this week. Obviously, you have Texas going to Alabama. You have Texas A&M going to Miami. Uh, you have under the radar, not really under the radar, but for some real casual fans out there, they might not get how good of a game this is. Ole Miss going to Tulane. Yeah, Tulane, that team that beat the Big 12 champion last year in Kansas State, that team that beat the Heisman Trophy winner in USC in the Cotton Bowl last year, and they have pretty much all their guys back from last year, that Tulane. Yeah, they're hosting Ole Miss this week. That's going to be a fun one. We'll get to that one a little bit later as well. Also, here's kind of an under-the-radar one. Auburn going cross-country to Cal. Those are four games that the SEC could lose. I think they should win most of them, but could lose. And, yeah, if the SEC goes one and three in those four games, we have a conversation on our hands about is the SEC really that good. I don't think they're going one and three in those games. We'll get to the picks a little bit later. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Going to be interesting to see. All right, guys. So last week, the picks against the spread, we went 9 and 11. Never forget. Went 9 and 11, but we were okay on the units because remember that parlay I gave out to you instead of the team total, that plus 250, that saved us where we didn't uh, lose any units with that 9 and 11 record. So getting started, I don't have any official plays for you on Thursday or Friday night. So we're starting with Saturday. And actually, we got one before noon. 11 o'clock, anchor down, Vanderbilt Commodores at Wake Forest. They've developed a little rivalry here. Like, they seem to play more often than not. I don't know how that came about, but I kind of dig it. Over 57 is the play. 
over 57 total points. Wake Forest does not have Sam Hartman anymore, but they still got Dave Kloss in the head coach. That's a really good system he's got running there. They're going to be able to score on Vandy. Vandy and their game that I watched against Hawaii back in week zero, they were pretty competent on offense. They'll be able to get at least uh, two or three touchdowns on a Wake Forest and be able to push that total up over the top for an over 57. Next up with the noon slate, I'm going with Georgia minus 42. They had a terrible showing last week against UT Martin. They're playing Ball State this week at noon. I just, as bad as the offense was last week, this is still supposedly the top offensive line in the country. It's still supposedly one of, if not the most talented rosters in the country. After a performance like that, they probably had a focused week of practice. Minus 42, I think, you know, 52 to 7, uh, 51 to 3, something of that nature. I think when that game goes final, it is going to cover for Georgia. Next up at noon, Purdue at Virginia Tech. I got over 48. Ryan Walters, Purdue coach, he's a very good coach. It's his first year. They lost last week to Fresno State and I think they're going to come out. I think they're going to be able to score a lot of points there in Lane Stadium. Virginia Tech uh, did the same thing last week. They were playing against Old Dominion. I don't know that the Purdue defense is much better than Old Dominion's, so I expect there to be plenty of points in that one. Next up, Notre Dame NC State in Raleigh. Under 50.5 is the play. Sam Hartman is great. I mentioned last week when I took NC State on the opening Thursday night, They almost got beat by UConn. UConn really stayed with them. I just think this is going to be sort of one of those run the ball and try to get out of their games for Notre Dame. This is the game, I think, more than almost any other this week, that the new clock rules are going to favor the under. Notre Dame's got the running back estimate, been very good so far this season. They're going to feed him. They'll let Hartman go over the top when they've got him sucked in, but... I just think that running game for NC State is better than their receiver group. I think NC State has – they're just going to be trying to play muck it up ball all year, try to get into a rock fight, try to drag the game down with the new clock rules, clock not stopping on every first down, tick, 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 under 50.5 for Notre Dame and NC State. Moving to the 330 slate. Just talked about it a little while ago. Ole Miss at Tulane. Going to be a great game. I have no idea on the spread. That's why we're taking the over 65.5 in that one. Lane Kiffin, Willie Fritz, two of the best offensive minds out there. I'm just not overthinking it. I think unlike that Notre Dame-NC State game where they're going to be just grinding it out, I think this is going to be a game of big plays. I think Pratt for Tulane, the quarterback, he's obviously back. Like I said, he outdueled Caleb Williams last year. He's gonna he's not gonna be afraid of this moment. Jackson Dart for Ole Miss against Mercer, but was still on point last week. I just I think there's gonna be a lot of fireworks in this game. It's gonna be really fun to watch. At the same time as that game, Texas AM at Miami. If you want to go to the game, you can still get a ticket for about ten dollars and get another Miami game for free. That's how cool that fan base is. They're really packing it out for this one. A&M minus four is the play. Sort of touched on it on the last show. 
I just, I think we're still in the honeymoon period for Jimbo and Bobby Petrino. I think Jimbo will defer to Petrino in this game, which means uh, they're going to be slinging the ball all over the place. They're going to find a way to get guys open. I told you Connor Wegman, he's the real deal, the quarterback for A&M. At the end of this game, they're going to win by a touchdown or more is what I think. Something to keep an eye on for Miami going forward. Tyler Van Dyke was really good in 2021. Really good when Manny Diaz was the head coach. Then they hired Mario Cristobal. Mario Cristobal is a great recruiter. He's a very good program builder. But he's one of those guys who's just afraid to cut loose on his offense. He's going to keep them handcuffed. He wants to try to win these games 13-7 to instead of 42-20. to For I don't get why some coaches are like that, but some are. Mario Cristobal seems to be one of them. Remember where he was before Miami. He was a head coach at Oregon. And I'll just say this. Every time I watch Justin Herbert throw a pass for the L.A. Chargers, I lose a little bit more faith in Mario Cristobal. Because he had that dude for like three years at Oregon. And Herbert didn't look like he does now. That offense doesn't look like they had someone like Justin Herbert slinging that thing around. I mean... Makes me think the problem's not Van Dyke. It could be these coordinators that Mario's been hiring and his style of play he wants to play. And then minus four. We'll keep an eye on that throughout the season for Miami, too, though. Because Tyler Van Dyke's good enough. He should be putting up bigger numbers than this. All right. Got a little tweener game here at 515. Appalachian State versus North Carolina. Do you remember what happened when these two teams played last year? Appalachian State scored 40 points in the fourth quarter. Not the second, 40 points in the fourth quarter and lost. That game got into the 60s for both teams last year. So you look at it this year. Drake May, best quarterback in that game. He's back. Man, people are high on North Carolina. They took care of South Carolina. The over-under is 58. I'll say again, both teams scored in the 60s last year. Appalachian State scored 40 in a quarter. Why is the over-under only 58 this time? That's why we're taking the under. They're posting that 58 out there, hoping you remember that game from last year. They're begging you to take the over. They're begging you to remember that game last year, all those fireworks, over what North Carolina's defense did to South Carolina last week. Again, you never know in these games, that over feels like such a sucker play. I had to take the under. Six o'clock game, Liberty minus 10 and a half. They are playing New Mexico State. Coastal Carolina's coach from the last few years, you know, when they were like, going to big bowl games and were ranked during the year. Coastal Carolina, yeah, he's at Liberty now. Liberty might not be as good of an offense as they were when they had Hugh Freeze and Malik Willis running that thing, but Jamie Chadwell is a wonderful replacement. He's going to find a way to get into the end zone enough to cover 10.5 against New Mexico State. you got to be kidding me. To the night slate, where it starts getting good. You know what comes on at 7 o'clock. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's talking about it. That's right. It's UConn versus Georgia State. 
UConn versus Georgia State. We're taking the Huskies plus three. Like I said earlier, UConn had a very good showing, held close with NC State last week. Georgia State kind of struggled with Rhode Island. You do the math. Last year, I guess, wasn't a fluke for UConn. Jim Moore has got them rolling. UConn plus three. Okay, I kid, I kid. The 7 o'clock game. So Obviously, Memphis minus 21. I made the play a couple days ago. I don't even remember who they're playing now. They're playing Arkansas State. That's who they're playing. The team that lost 73 to nothing last week. They're playing Oklahoma. They lost 73 to nothing. I can tell you if Oklahoma was playing Memphis this week, the spread would not be 52 points. Arkansas State is garbage. That's why Memphis is going to beat them by more than three touchdowns. All right, the bit's gone on long enough. We're going to talk Texas Bama now. Texas Bama, I could see the game going either way, honestly. I could see Saban laughing maniacally in his head at all the doubters this season while they suffocate Texas and win like 31 to 6. I could see maybe all the concerns were valid. And Sark and Quinn Ewers were really holding something back last week against Rice, and they go in there and ambush Alabama and they get it out of there with a win. I don't know. So what we're taking is the under 54 and a half. Under 54 and a half in this game, it's got one of those prize fight feels where the fighters spend the first couple rounds just feeling each other out before they go in for the kill. I could see this being a 3-0, 3-3 game at the end of the first quarter and we're cruising to the under. Alabama's going to want to run the ball in pretty much every game they play this year. I just don't know that Texas is going to be able to hit as many big plays as they need to against that Alabama defense. That's the play in that one, under 54 and a half. 7.30 kick. Temple Rutgers, under 44. Why? Because it's Temple versus Rutgers. They ain't scoring a lot of points next. Arizona versus Mississippi State, under 60 points. Under 60 for Arizona, Mississippi State. We all know why. We all know why, but Mike Leach isn't there anymore. Zach Arnett, new head coach for Mississippi State, he's a meathead. He's a meathead defensive coordinator. He's going to be one of those guys like Mario who wants to try to win games close instead of blowing teams out under 60. Uh, I don't have much else to say on that one. Nightcap, 10.30, little Pac-12 versus SEC after dark, 10.30 p.m. kick. Auburn flies to Cal. We'll talk about the game for the first second. Think about how funny that is. Any Auburn fans going to Cal? Like the people of Berkeley are going to all be masked up for COVID and the Auburn fans are going to be wondering why they can't get their gun in the gate with a concealed carry permit. The crowd shots in that game might be more entertaining than the game. They were going over 55. Remember what I told you last week. Why did they hire Hugh Freeze despite all of his baggage? The man scores points. Justin Wilcox coming into this season on the hot seat for Cal. He's got to really show something. A good offensive performance against an SEC West school could go a long way for him. He's going to be trying to light up that scoreboard as well. Over 55. That's the 14 plays for this week. Thank you guys for hanging out. Smash that like and subscribe button. Again, thank you to the guys over at Arbitrage Racing for sponsoring us. Follow them on Twitter at Arbitrage Racing. And announcement. 
Follow on Twitter, at E-P-O-C-F-B. That is the account for this show. At E-P-O, entertainment purposes only, C-F-B, college football. At E-P-O-C-F-B, the Twitter account for this show. We'll be live tweeting the games on every Saturday. We'll be retweeting clips and plays on there. So follow along. It'll be fun. Keeping track of all the picks. Can't wait for this Saturday. Bonus pick. If you stay till the end, you're getting a bonus. Lions money line tonight. Not an official pick. This is a college football pick show. Lions money line tonight. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Like and subscribe.